0: Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to Rant with Recruit Group, uh, where we're always willing to tell you the truth like no one else will and ask a lot of the bold questions no other recruiting firm in the country will. Uh, I'm your host, Tafari Alexander. I'm the VP of our healthcare technology team. uh, And with me, uh, my friend and colleague, as always, is Brandon Berry, uh, who's always there as my co host, and I appreciate all of his efforts. But, Brandon, Please do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and your special version of the truth through all of this? Always, always. You'll get it. You'll get it. You'll get it from me, Rich. You'll get it. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you for always supporting our crazy endeavors here at Recruit Group with all that, Brandon. Uh, so let's get moving. Uh, so this series will focus on talent trends, uh, and we have a, about seven subtopics that we're going to get into, and we're going to bring in different colleagues from across the country. Uh, to kind of support us or debunk us, tell us the truth on their end as well. Uh, This week, we're going to be talking with Lee Jones uh, about culture and process around fundraising, right? And even some of the diversity in healthcare technology. Lee's founded his own company, grew it, sold it, done some really dynamic things. But before we get into Lee, I want to get into a little rant about this, right? The topic is rant with recruit group after all. And it, it always amazes me that we see this cool data that says more diverse teams lead to better teams, more profitable teams in corporate America. Yet that's not one of the data points companies always go to. They use all kinds of data points to, hey, let's use the data to sell. Let's use the data to separate us from our competitors. But isn't that one of the biggest and simplest data points that you can use having a diverse team And don't get biased. I'm not saying it's gotta be people of color or black people. It could be the Latinx community, the LGBTQ community. It could be women. These are all things that keep missing out and bring a a broad, beautiful diversity to corporate America. But that's not one of the data points that we use. And then there's the club mentality where it's like, hey, I want everyone in the club, but you know who joins clubs? People who look just like you, have the same mindset as you, has the same traits as you. And after a while, that's going to get stagnant, especially if your club is about profit and revenue and being different. Sometimes your club isn't about being different, but sometimes it's about definitely profit and revenues. So why would you keep going after that same club mentality in fundraising, in new healthcare technology, in new endeavors? Diversify your clubs. Isn't that what makes a party better? Different people from different cultures bring in the ideas. I don't get how we're missing this at the investor level. Maybe I'm wrong. And then uh, my other thing is, wouldn't you want to be the company that finds the outlier, right? That's what everybody talks about in Silicon Valley, right? The unicorn, Airbnb, Uber. But you know what? People of color. Hispanics, Latinx, Asian, LGBTQ women, we all have our own innate problems that need solutions, that need smart, unique companies that can target us, focus on us, and solve some of our problems from education to healthcare, to wellness, to behavioral health, to addiction, to just basic, you know, real estate, lending, all these unique things that we have certain I don't want to say issues, but we have certain things that we'd love to get targeted. Why aren't you investing in those companies that can solve those and be the outlier that, oh my God, this investment company found this unique company out of Memphis that changed the world for this group. Wouldn't you want that? Why aren't you going after that as a business model? I don't know what I'm missing. Then the 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 reality that America is going to be a company of majority, minority. you know, the different numbers say 2030, 2045, that's in our lifetime. How are we not paying attention to this proactively now in 2020 to be ready for that? Because that's the reality. There's going to be more kids that look beautiful brown than my brown or Brandon's tan brown, you know, down the road, (laughs) you know? So why aren't we paying attention to what the future is going to hold for our majority minority country and the globe at the end of the day. So why aren't you preparing your business, preparing your investments, prepare, preparing your funding, for your technologies for that beautiful audience 20, 30 years down the road? Again, in our lifetime. And then the, the other thing that, that kind of rattles me, and maybe you can answer this for me, Lee, is the, the, the funds specifically for minority groups. I love that opportunity, that chance in to get in the door. But to me, that sounds like, so you couldn't woo those good guys, so you're going to woo these guys? So we couldn't give you $50 million, so we'll give you two? And To me, that seems kind of like, well, I couldn't earn the respect, the credibility, the value of my competitors in the same office building coming out of the same kind of startup hub you know, some beautiful office space that none of us can even use these days, right? Their ideas are better than mine just because I don't look like them. Or they can go after the big fund, the JP Morgans, the I don't want to drop any names, those big guys, but I don't deserve that audience because of what exactly? Or if I get your $2 million in the minority fund, Does that exclude me from getting my series B of 20, 30 million four years down the road from the big boy fund? Or am I just going to still stay on this minority track fund my entire fundraising career? I don't understand that. Again, companies are grateful for it. I know they love the chance, but I think a lot of them are thinking the same thing I am. And again, Lee, I might be wrong. I'd love for you to debunk me, tell me I'm right, tell me I'm wrong, but at least share your knowledge with us. So, you know... Lee, Lee Jones, thank you for coming on board. Thank you for being honest with us. Uh, I appreciate everything you'll share with us today. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, inviting me here and your rant was was a pretty interesting <laughs> series of things and my mind was racing through a number of different topics that you uh, you brought up, but um, to the last one that you specifically asked me about, you know, it's a really complicated um, thing because, and I think this may underlie an, all of the, a number of those situations that you you pointed out. No one, when things work, it's really it gets some inertia behind it, and people are slow to change. And it really mm-hmm. takes something that's so counterintuitive and high profile to happen to get people to really say, wow, okay, maybe there's something to this whole thing. I think we saw that, you know, to use a a popular example, in the elections for president, you know, Barack Obama really took this whole idea of the the digital world and bringing it into the electorate, which was non-traditional, right? Everyone spent money on TV, they spent money on those other things. And he got elected, despite lots of people being against that. And then Donald Trump did the same thing right? <laughs> he created harnessed the, the power, and targeted his market, all the things that you learn in business school you're supposed to do in marketing, and he found the people who would vote for him, and they voted, and now he's president, and so no one saw it coming because everyone was so stuck in the old way of doing things, and I think that that is really what goes on here. People say, hey, look, you should have a diverse team, but really that diverse team, it's, there's so many variables that contribute toward my success, I don't know where that ranks among them i'm going to keep doing what i'm comfortable doing or maybe i kind of believe it so i'll put the two million dollars aside and play around a little sandbox and let somebody Mm -hmm. try to prove me wrong right i mean prove that this works and i think that it's that kind of thing that is working against those who you know if we're on the other side of that who believe that it's you know not only doable but it's 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 better but right. I've seen that kind of thing, you know, it really is people who are in those groups stepping up and finding a way to give back and bring people along themselves because you have to accept the premise. And if you don't accept the premise wholeheartedly, then you're not going to put much energy into it. And so that's why I was encouraged in the last you know, few years about um, these different funds where African-American women and men have been starting funds to try to fund other businesses and other right. things like that. They're
0: doing it themselves. Because yeah.
1: they have the belief that this is not theoretical for me. I know that this can work. And so I think that's that's a, a key ingredient, accepting the premise. I like that. I like that.
0: And, yeah, And you jumped right into it. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to, to, to give the audience uh, the, the, the credibility factor, summarize and give us a little bit about your journey right i mean give me the you know same thing i said the first time the first time i met you give me the 30 seconds to a minute on lee and kind of your journey from founding your company to kind of the the arch of the process for you
1: uh yeah sure so um so i was you know i'm from philadelphia pennsylvania born and raised inside the city you know mother who was on public assistance other kinds of things like that made my way to to college got a degree in computer science from carnegie mellon came up sort of the technology ranks and did you know software development all those kinds of things until i had gotten to be a chief technology officer at um, a small company and um and from there progressed through the executive ranks until 2003 when the company I was in got acquired. And when they got acquired, I sort of took my stock options and my little, what I thought was this huge war chest of $100,000. I thought I could come to the world with <laughs> $100,000. And uh, said, I'm going to start my own business. And so in 2003, I started a, a IT um, consulting business in healthcare because I had been working in the healthcare space and, um, you know, quickly, Burned through my $100,000 because I didn't change my <laughs> lifestyle. Well, no one said, hey, you're going to do all this entrepreneurship stuff. You got to, you know, factor in your personal life. Right. But then got some contracts and built it up and then wound up running that company for um, 16 years. And the first half of that it was sort of a professional service company. And then the second half was a software as a service product company. And um, I ran it from 2003 to, to just last year where I sold it to, a larger competitor in my, in our industry um, and then did saw through the transition with them and then left them and now s- starting up a you know whole new set of ventures so that's, well, that's sort exciting
0: of most people don't enough. get to see their dream through the the entire life cycle founding it to selling it to a big competitor for for I would imagine profit and you know a lifestyle change for you and your family that's fantastic
1: yeah, I wish it was uh, it was more money. But when you start to, you know, in that second <laughs> half of the the life of the company, I took on investors, and investors take their pounds of flesh. And <laughs> um, you know, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I did very well. I'm I'm not complaining. But I think if I had to do it over again, I'd do it much smarter.
0: Well, let let me ask you that, right? What will be the the if you if it's one or two things you would do different, what would they
1: be in your own journey? Um, you know, when, so I would have been more thoughtful, first of all, about the decision to take outside money into the company and understand the real implications. Everyone kept giving me these platitudes, like, look, it's better to own a small piece of something big than, you know, a lot of something that's really small. Um, and, you know, I understand that and that's true, but I would have been more, I would have treated it in a more guarded and protective way and not sort of sold it for, um, you know, the values that I sold them for along the way. If I had some guidance or if I had anyone who gave me uh, you know, some insight into what this really is, I think the other thing I would do is I'd be much more um, assertive and aggressive about my own point of view. What I found was when I was raising money, I had never raised money before. And you know, so I relied upon the experts around me. I relied upon the investment bankers and the venture capitalists and the people I was negotiating with to sort of show me the ropes because I was trying so hard because of my inexperience to not look inexperienced that right. I didn't want to take a risk like I had been doing with the business all along and do something that seemed foolish or prevented my chances of raising this money, et cetera. So I didn't, I had never been in the room where those things happened. So I didn't observe how it happened. So I took the de facto advice, which is never going to give you the premium result. And so after having gone through those experiences and see what they led to, and then also getting to observe the same process with others going through it, I would have been much more a sort of captain of my own ship. In in steering the process than than I did the first time, um, and I think it would have resulted in you know a, a much more um, a larger financial gain as as well as more peace of mind that I was really being true to um, my own story.
0: There you go. I think that's the value right there. That peace of mind to your own authenticity mm-hmm. would have it goes a long way. It goes a long way. All right. Well, maybe then I jump down to one of my my, one of my questions here was, you know, there's always that people talk about the boys club, right? In the VC private equity world or even the power brokers out there. And that usually means a white male power broker. When people say boys club, they know what they mean by that. Is there a boys club for the black male power brokers out there? Whether it's healthcare technology or in technology or just kind of
1: senior levels of business out there, you know, I I, I would probably say no, but I would say qualified no. Where I've okay. seen that kind of thing, it's on a much smaller level. You know, I think part of the a part of the problem that I've seen with you know black entrepreneurs is they don't think big enough. And they're doing a lot of these, you know, businesses that probably could have a larger potential. But because no one has sort of shown them how to get there or, you know, help them to expand their thinking, they're sort of limited by their own um, lack of imagination about things that could happen. So when I find those kinds of clubs where people are trying to do for themselves and network, et cetera, it's on such a lower level than I was fortunate enough to be able to see and deal right. with, you know, millions, tens of millions of dollars versus hundreds of thousands or, you know, things like that. So I'd say, yeah, it's out there and there's a lot of people trying to do things, but I just think that their, the scope of their ambition is is not large enough. And frankly, they don't always have the resources or access to the resources to, to be in those other kinds of circles. Right. But definitely. There's the opposite is true. And the other there are certainly these boys clubs, as you call them, at these higher levels. And it's almost always boys and almost (laughs) always one color and almost always, um, you know, things get done because of the relationships. And Mm -hmm. if you don't have those relationships, you're trying to follow the rules, but the, the relationships always usurp the rules. And so if you don't have the relationships, you're at a disadvantage.
0: Can I quote you on that? The relationships usually usurp the rules. That's right. Brandon, how good is that? That's <laughs> good. I mean, that's just beautiful. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll be having a family before, with my so kids just to them that I get I'm off the phone. Awesome. All right. I'm writing that down. <laughs> So it's but because my, the reason I asked that or I jumped ahead and asking that, it sounds like you could have used a little bit of that boys club, right, to, sh- to kind of pull you to the side and say, hey, you don't have to take their money or maybe you don't need to take as much or maybe be willing to ask for these two more extra things if you take their money. It sounded like you could have used that boys club once or twice in this evolution is what I asked that.
1: I certainly could have and and I don't want to make it sound like there was there was no one ever you know I certainly have run into people who I consider mentors and who helped me and who may have given me advice, but I will say um and this is you know I'll say it to my own shame, but when you're in these rooms and you see one thing all the time right, and then someone who you know looks like me comes and they may have been in these rooms as well, even ahead of me. And they tell me X, Y, or Z to my own shame, you know, I may discount what that person is saying because I'm like, do you really know more than I know? <laughs> you know, mm. do you really, you know, you're, you're saying something contrary to what these guys are saying. And I'm going to, I'm going to hear it. And I'm going to try to watch for it. But at the same time, there's so many of them who right. are doing this, you know, this, my end is very small in terms of getting the kind of message that you're giving me. So I need to either just fully trust you. And that, when I decide to do that, that goes beyond just what you look like, right? That's, I don't know how great a business person you are. I don't know. So, you know, it's not enough variety and numbers for me to just say, okay, let me, I trust this source because source is so small.
0: Right. That's why, again, that's why it needs to be a club, right? It's four or five of them pulling you to say, Hey, if you're a Uh, an entrepreneur doing this. Let's talk to you because we've sold five businesses at 10 million X or whatever, 10 times EBITDA, blah, blah, blah. Let's give you some of the tricks of the trade or even some things to keep an eye out for. This means that, or people never ask for these three things and they're willing to give this to you. And this could be valuable to you two years down the road. So that's, that's interesting that you, that, that you're interesting that you say that. So uh, as you talked about that, what were some of the challenges you faced as a as a founder, CEO in healthcare tech? Obviously, probably a lot over 16 years. But if you can kind of give me the, the, the one or two that keeps that stick in your head even now to this day.
1: Uh, specifically around raising money or anything. In- you tell me, man. <laughs> the biggest challenge. Uh, you know, I think for me, um, and I don't know if this is specific. This is probably more particular to me than necessarily healthcare, but um, we considered our company, GSI Health, as sort of what we call a double bottom line company. So there was the financial thing, but we also had a mission and we were trying to build a good company. And we had some some maxims that said, look, we, we value our employees first, right, as you know, as opposed to our shareholders or our customers even. Mm-hmm. And we think if the employees are, are treated well, they're going to do a good job for those other two. So I was really about trying to build a good company and one where people were happy to come and we were, you know, voted, a, you know, best workplace in a couple of times and all these other things. Sometimes that kind of mindset it works against the, the first bottom line in terms of wh- how fast you can grow, what your investors think about what you're trying to do. And so I felt Almost compelled to choose, especially after I took money, um, I had to decide. I knew that I was on a clock. I had to sell this company at some point. I had to bring a certain return, um, or else, you know, my role was going to be at jeopardy from my board. And so, I think that make striking that balance of being the kind of CEO I wanted to be versus the one I was required to be because I was beholden to my investors and you know other expectations. Was, was a tough balance for me.
2: That's bold. That's candid. How would you say, like thinking through your team, how would they describe your style as a CEO?
1: Um, you know, I was very transparent and all about, you know, um, us and we doing these kinds of things. So much so that, you know, throughout those 16 years, we had one layoff. And um, I remember, you know, that day, they called it Bloody Tuesday. We had to lay off a bunch of different people. And, you know, it was, it was heart-wrenching for me, and people knew it was heart-wrenching for me. But the thing that I was most proud of was some of the people that I laid off, um, you know, in a few months, we were able to um, contact them and ask them to come back, and they willingly came back. Some of them even had another job and quit their job and came back to this company because the atmosphere and the family orientation was more important than the security that they thought they might have in another place. That's fantastic. And so I was proud of of
2: that. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, yeah, because you don't hear a lot of times you don't hear a lot of CEOs that have that emotional intelligence or empathy. Right around their people. So do you think that your board didn't get to see that true side, that true, like empathetic, my heart's on the table kind of a leader? Like they didn't get to see that side of you, you think, because you had to be something a little different? Is that what I'm understanding?
1: Um, they probably didn't get, to, I mean, they weren't in the company day in and day out, so they probably didn't get to see it on full display, but I think they sensed it and I think they counted it as a weakness. And really? I think, yeah, and I think that they thought then I was not willing to do some of the more hard nosed business kinds of things. Um, that I let things go on too long. That I wasn't, you know, sort of doing other things, even though the company was on the 85,000 fastest growing company for three years in a row, and we were, you know, bringing them. And when we sold, everybody made money, you know. But nonetheless. I think they took that as I didn't know what I was doing. So what they continually tried to do was insert their guys. Hey, why don't you hire this guy as your chief financial officer? Why don't you hire this guy to do this? Why don't you use this consultant? I know somebody who can help you with this. You know, So I think that's the way that they saw it. That's interesting.
2: It's, it's crazy to me how vulnerability is still seen as weakness and not strength even at a, even at sea level, like I, it's just, it's crazy. That's interesting.
0: Well, mark that down as one of the topics, right? Vulnerability at the sea level. What does that really mean? That might be a webinar for us, Brandon, because that's a bold, that's a bold thing, right? What you, especially even willing to be on, on honest about it, right? You know, a lot of people aren't even willing to do that. So thank you for that. Yeah, for uh. sure. So you mentioned, you, 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 I asked you the question, you said whether it's my problem or in funding. So ask, answer that other side of it for you or for us. What was maybe one of the biggest challenges in the funding uh, side of the business?
1: Um, you know, we when I first went to try to raise money, it was in 2012-ish. Um, and I didn't know how to do it. So I hired a, a little boutique investment banker and these guys took me around and and we showed well at least well enough to get audiences and we probably went through 50 different vcs and private equity firms of various um, sizes and we got about 50 no's (laughs) (laughs) this is just nice this is cool come back when this happens come back when that happens and i recall that you know I thought, all right, well, maybe this is just what it is. And people around me were saying, well, look, you keep hearing about people getting funded. Meanwhile, my competitors, you know, they were announcing every day, oh, we raised $7 million. Oh, I raised $25 million. And I was trying to raise like $3 million, right? And I was, you know, it was, and so I got discouraged and and people around me said, well, look, you keep hearing about people's successes because they trumpet them but there are many more people who are failing at this like you are. So you're not really, you know, um, you know, outside of bounds, if you will. You should count me the fact that people are talking to you as as a, um, you know, as a sign of, of good progress. Mm-hmm. And I kind of accepted that at the time. And I think in retrospect, um, what really made me think about about whether that was true, Is at the time I had hired someone who was, uh, who I had this, I was a CEO and I hired someone and had her be the president of the company and it was, she's a white woman and um, she, you know, after a while she decided to leave the company, separate from the company. And I remember one of my employees came up to me um, who was also black and said, I don't know how we're going to make it now. And I said, well, what do you mean? You don't know how, because I was there and, she, you know, before I, I found a company, right? <laughs> Prior the woman, she was there before. It. So what do you mean? You don't know how it makes? She said, I don't know how far we can go without having that face at the top of the company or so close to the top of the company. Oh. And it struck me that she thought that because I wasn't thinking that way. But then after she said that, I started to think about. The you know reception that we were getting when she was involved or when she wasn't involved and other things like that and it made me at least wonder right it's no way to prove or say you know what it was or wasn't but it makes me question and then when I started to see other people having different kinds of successes you know I, like I said I'll take full responsibility I probably was not as aggressive as I should have been but I think some of it was just I was an unknown quantity right and more than the sense of being a, an entrepreneur just trying to get money but unknown in my demographic and my ability to succeed mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing so um, so that it was hard because it, it's it's you don't unfortunately when you're in some sort of group that you know is historically um, you know disadvantaged in certain areas you never know um, if it's for one reason or another, right? Something happens to you and you have, and that's that's one of the things that um, I heard recently, uh, the woman who coined this term white privilege, she said, and she wrote a book and she wrote all these different things, a white woman, and she said things that she doesn't, you know, that she counts as white privilege. She said, if I get stopped by a police officer, I never ever think that it's because of my race. And just the fact that that's not even in the equation is a privilege, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that she she should be ashamed of it, but I'm just saying it's a it's something that you don't have to worry about. With me in this arena, it was always something I was thinking about, and it may or may not be true, but it makes you a little bit more guarded, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're
0: of the of the 50 not that you would remember this all the way from 2012 of the 50 were any of them like one of those funds specifically for minority owners or any minority founded companies or anything like that
1: um no i didn't really run into a lot of those but i did um i did have people who were interested in invent, investing because they thought that our company could win minority contracts Minority set-asides for contracts because uh, okay. we were doing some government work, et cetera. But not that they had a thesis around, you know, funding minority businesses or anything like that. Got it. Got it, got it, got it.
0: Uh, I, I get maybe a off-topic but bold question. You're in those 50 rooms. Were everyone else in those rooms the same?
1: Um, you know, there were a fair amount of um, women involved in the processes. So in terms of men, women, there were certainly more men, but in terms of men and women um, being involved in the process, I'd say there was fair enough representation of women, uh, more than I might have expected at that time. Um, but in terms of diversity of, um, you know, ethnicity or, or anything like that, if it was anything different it was because like for example there were several um uh vcs that i talked to who were indian uh vcs Mm. right so that was they were there because they had a founder who was indian (laughs) and then those people who we hired were you know et cetera so Mm -hmm. it would tend to be something like that as opposed to just here's this, you know, company that just has had success in so many areas and you just see this natural diversity in there. Right. One their of their managing partners just happens to be a black woman from Tennessee or whatever. Right. So th- that was, that was pretty rare. Gotcha. And as you say, the the the
0: seeing you and access to minority uh, opportunities and stuff like that, one of the things that people always talk about in diversity and inclusion and in technology is that it's it's not a pipeline problem because the companies are there, versus or I should say it's it's pipeline problem versus access to capital problem. Which do you consider it to be? Is it a pipeline or is it an access to capital problem?
1: Uh, in terms of what's problematic for the entrepreneur?
0: Yes, or just for the the scope of things when people say diversity in technology, whether it's our niche of healthcare or technology as a whole. You see different articles, different, you know, talking heads. Well, the the businesses are out there. The women owned businesses are out there. The women of color are starting more businesses in America than any other group. So that means the businesses are there. So it's not a pipeline problem. It's an access to capital. But meanwhile, you know, you'll talk to the entrepreneurs themselves and you'll say, well, it's really a a, a pipeline problem because I've been the only one at these pitch shows. That's a woman. I've been the only one that's You know, you know, uh, you know, we're we're an LGBTQ focused company. We're the only one. So is it a pipeline problem or is it an access problem from what you've seen in your 16 years plus in this business?
1: Um, You know, I think this is sort of related to what I was saying earlier in the sense of. There are plenty of businesses, right, but just if you look at all businesses in the United States, only 10 percent of all businesses in the United States make a million dollars in revenue. So 90% of the businesses that you've ever seen are making under a million dollars a year. And so you may have tons of things in the pipeline, but they're all stuck in this one small part of the pipe. (laughs) It's once Mm -hmm. you get past this, you know, that stage, and then, you know, it's even smaller to get to 5 million or get to 10 million, et cetera. And so, and I think that that is, we can call it access, but I think it's also just a wherewithal and a and a knowledge, um, you know, um, the, the boys' club, right? There are no there are not enough boys' clubs to sort of get you past a certain level, and we sort of have a gap in you know some of these minority communities between communities between, you know, people who are doing all their stuff from my side hustle and or I'm joining some multi-level marketing thing or whatever and trying to do something like that and build that into a business to people who get rich from, you know, athletics or singing or something else, and then try to start all these businesses because they feel like they need to diversify. And if you look at what happens between both of those groups, they all do the same kind of stuff. These little, you know, I'm going to start a car dealership or own some cleaners or because it's what they know. And that tells me that the way that they think about what it means to build businesses, et cetera, is not formed well enough because they don't have access to the knowledge base that can help mm. them to grow into those other things. You
2: know? Or they have access to the knowledge base. I, how much do you think of it is centered around people just genuinely, in a lot of occasions, don't want to share that information because they don't want Another person getting richer than that or getting it or having it easier than they have it.
1: Uh, you mean people who are in some same similar classification like crabs in a barrel type thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure that that's there. What I think is more prevalent is probably, um, uh, so my experience when I went to college. So, I went through Philadelphia public schools my whole life. And, you know, I was a pretty good student. To achieve and do well in the Philadelphia public school system was more of an individual sport. I was pulled out of my classes, I was set apart, I was put in mentally gifted and academically talented, all of these things that sort of set me apart. And so, when I went to college, my mode was. I do this on my own. I don't rely on other people to help me do it. Whereas all the people around me were in study groups and had all these networks and they were sharing <laughs> tests and papers and doing because they came up and, my, and frankly, my kids are coming up with this. We succeed as a group. Let's help each other. Let's network. Let's do all these things. And so I think that some of it is that too. It's not so much that I'm doing it in a malicious way. I don't want to share with you. It's just that I may not be asking for help and you're not offering it because succeed <laughs> was synonymous with doing it on your own, pulling yourself up, figuring it out on your own. Because if you couldn't figure it out on your own, that's somehow admitting that you were less than him. And I think that that mindset is probably more what I would Crabble. think happens than crabs and Barrel. Makes a lot of sense.
2: My brother lives in Fishtown, by the way. I love me some <laughs>
1: That's right. Good for him. Yeah.
0: Um, so uh I wanted to ask uh we we talked about this a little bit in our conversation a couple a couple of weeks ago, but right, everybody's got pandemic on their mind. But beyond the pandemic, there's also a really pressure pot building civil unrest in our country that's causing a lot of really good things and a lot of really negative things uh as well uh out there. In terms of Uh, diversity in the workplace, companies being built. Are you optimistic about this kind of new found awareness that's out there? How do you feel about this, this time in our history right now?
1: Um, I'm actually encouraged by it. I think there's a lot of opportunity to sort of reset Reset the way you think, reset what you were doing, take some time to assess, to get help. And what I found, like part of the business that I'm doing now is mentoring um, young companies on, you know, doing all these things that I've been able to do. Look, I haven't, you know, I'm not Amazon, right? So I haven't done, there are levels I still haven't discovered, but whatever I have discovered, I want to be able to give it to someone else. And what I found is there's a there's a hunger for people to not just start and do things but try to figure out how to do it well and so i'm encouraged because this time has given many more people an opportunity to try to plan and and prepare for a better future and um you know it would have probably not come with all the tyranny of the urgent that goes along with everyday life and so um i'm i'm actually I, i'm i'm encouraged i also think that it's fundamentally enabled or pushed over the edge things that were already on the brink of you know being popular like okay you definitely can work from home <laughs> and be productive and the business is not going to fail you definitely can do this sort of gig economy and and freelance and do other things and make make money you definitely can market yourself and get an audience like D nice and club quarantine right and suddenly have lots and lots of people so people saw enough of that happening that i think it inspired them to say i just have not been doing it right let me figure out how to to do it so for that reason i am i'm encouraged by the time that we're in and even the social unrest that you alluded to you know I'm just amazed that there are still protests going on and it's lasted this long and people are, you know, when I go on my walks and, you know, I see these Black Lives Matter things in my neighborhood and, you know, it's really, it feels different. Now we'll see where it all ends up, but it, it feels like a tipping point, you know.
0: Awesome. I like that. Optimism is key. But I might squash some of that optimism with my next <laughs> question.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: So, so when, again, we're talking diversity. We're talking inclusion in corporate America. Who's responsible for leading the charge, right? Is it the money guys? Is it the executives? Is it the young talent hungry to, for a chance and jumping in and, and getting into these companies by somehow, some way? Where does the change come from? Right. Who's 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 supposed to lead the charge right now?
1: Well, you know, I think it's too uh, it's too big of a topic to just have one. You know, silver bullet that's going to really solve it all. You know, it's, it's the job of the, you know, the the social activists to change mindsets or it's the job of the corporate titans to just suddenly open their arms or the job of people like me to, you know, rally and bring people forward or people like you to now publicize, you know, I think it takes all of us to do our part wherever we are. And I think that that's been, that's been the missing thing where lots of efforts going on, but uncoordinated and unable to all attach their, their efforts to a common theme. And I think that that's what I'm hopeful happens now, like where did the whole movement or theme or mindset come from? I don't know. Maybe it started with Black Lives Matter. Maybe it started through just these, you know, protests. But what it's enabled is people to get unified and keep talking about it and and be able to organize around it, you know? So when I see the NBA teams talking about going into the bubble and now setting up, uh, you know all these different things they're going to have on their jerseys and all the other kind of stuff they're perpetuating the thing that other people can latch on to and so i don't know if there's one leader i think everyone has to recognize the moment and and do your part Uh, at least that's what it seems like to me that's what i'm trying to do um you know that's what i view this as this kind of ranting conversation you know it's, it's sort of doing your part to keep the the thing that we can all at least tie back into some way alive until mm-hmm. people make the breakthroughs because there Got will be breakthroughs if people are persistent enough. You know,
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that because uh, that, that brings me to like a, a, a more of a statement. Uh, I was having this conversation with my CEO and we were talking about our jobs as recruiters is many times the gatekeeper to talent and we have to and we're and not that we have to but there's a level of onus on us to educate our clients on the value of a diverse team you know educate the candidates on hey these are the types of companies you should be paying attention to these are the types of roles that you should be looking at that may not be in your in your circle of influence so we're we're a gatekeeper on both ends of the information and on the power but then i said to him was are we willing to make less hires because there'll be less people willing to listen to us? Mm. Are our clients going to be willing to have the position open longer for the willingness to find a a person of color or LGBTQ or Latinx or whatever to fill that spot, knowing that their minority numbers are less than 3% at a 4,000 person company? You know, are they going to be willing to do that because we told them to or because they know it's the right thing to do? What's going to be the break point, whether it's us willing to, hey, I don't want to make 20, but I'll make 14 hires, knowing that at least now five of those can be people of color and LGBTQ. Am I willing to make that sacrifice? Are you my boss willing to let me make that sacrifice? Is my client, you know, he was like, "I I don't know. Right. That's where the awkward silence and the pause comes in. Right? Because, no. hey, no. Right?
1: Because <laughs> no. okay.
0: right? that, that's what the rubber's got to meet the road. We all want to do the right things, but are we willing to do it when it costs us money? When it costs us opportunity or the, the, the preconceived notion of opportunity, right? I said that to somebody the other day. That goes back to the conversation all of us of Americans have. Oh, all of our stuff is made in China. All of our stuff is made in Asia. Are you willing to pay more money for it to be made in Tennessee or Oklahoma or New York? Is no. Is this rant and number two? About?
2: Again? <laughs> say it again. As it is, this rant number two, we weren't prepared. This was not we on the prepared. syllabus.
0: <laughs> but I'm just saying, we all say that until it's the rubber meets the road and it's going to cost us money, right? Yeah. I want to seize the opportunity. I, I, I've spoken to, again, another maybe off-topic rant, I spoke to a VC uh, probably the week I talked to you, like three or four weeks ago, Lee. And he called me and he's like, Tavar, we're thinking about this. We're having different conversations about this. He's the one who gave me that thought process of the club and why we keep creating these clubs. And my, 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 my thought when I got off the phone with him was, is he saying this in the room of the other 60-year-old white guys? Is he being this open and honest with them? Is he being with me? Is he willing to challenge their norms? Or is he just telling me that he was a very sincere guy? He was the nicest guy in the world. He referred me to a client. So he was probably sincere in everything he said. But how many guys like him are zipping it up at those board meetings? Or just sending an email instead of standing up and saying, hold on guys, we gotta stop this. Or saying, hold on guys, that female candidate that was just in here is much better than this guy, but we happen to know him. What are we talking about? How many of those guys are sitting silent or
1: not raising their hand
0: all the way up in some of those meetings?
1: Yeah, you know, my view on that kind of thing is you you got to have both. So if you had, you know, twin brother, Safari Alexander, who <laughs> was over there doing exactly what you do, and mm-hmm. one of you was you know, got your CEO to say, yes, we will take that sacrifice and do all these things. And then the other one was like, no, we need to really hit these numbers this year, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Both of you are needed because if, you know, if you taking the, the road more traveled are successful, your brother can still point to you and say, look, you know, that's a success. I'm still going to take credit for what has happened over there, even though he wasn't doing it with you know my personal mission he Mm -hmm. still is an example that i can point to and you need those examples and i think that to me it's sort of the same kind of question about should you can send your kids to hbcus or should you send them to you know um, majority white institutions i think the answer is both (laughs) because You you need to get them through, and so the people going through the majority white institutions are still going to be inspirations to people at HBCUs and cause people to go there and care about HBCUs and all that. So I don't think it's either or. I think that it's really there are going to be people who are more oriented to sort of t- make that sacrifice than others, and you want those people to do it. But then others who don't do it, you make the best of what they are doing. You know, so I'm not, I'm rarely. I know that might be a little wishy-washy, but I'm rarely, a, there's a one-size-fits-all or just do it one way and that's going to be the, the the magic, you know.
0: Okay. Uh, let me, uh, uh, another qu- a question that came in from a, a colleague, uh, actually one of the other podcasts I was telling you about, uh, Lee, she talked, to, I asked her what could companies do and she talked about connecting bonuses. She was talking about hiring women. So I figured I might ask you, does it make sense to connect executive level comp to diversity results inclusion results whether it's bonuses or a penalized
2: either or
1: um i personally i think if you're in a big company then yes I think if you're in a small company I would say no because big companies have the ability to withstand or to 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 take the experiment and um and you know suffer some losses and still keep going and refine what they're doing for small companies they are so you know often so scrappy that Taking an L because I hired these people for this reason and they couldn't do the job I needed is not something the company can survive. And Mm -hmm. so you have to be broader in the considerations on what's going to get you to where you're going. And then as you get larger, you can start to have those kinds of incentives, et cetera, Um, because, frankly, the big companies can can afford to run the experiments, refine what they do and then get better at it. Where small companies have a harder time. So um, I don't know if I would have, you know, small and mid-sized companies have their executives incented that particular um, way. But you know, like I said, my my twin brother might say yes, you should do that, and you know, I think we both need to be out there.
0: Right. Because that goes back to the question of then where do those big companies get the pipeline of talent to even fill their roles if it doesn't come from the smaller companies? Hey, I was a COO at a thousand person company. I can be a director of operations at a five thousand person company because I've already done it for five years. So where do you get the pipeline of talent if it's not from the smaller, scrappier kind of organizations? And again, a small company could be 30 people in a startup. Or, you know, 500 people in a four or five year startup, that's still a small company, to your point, uh, to the scale of some of these companies, the Googles, the, you know, Amazons, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, the small companies are certainly feeders. um, And I think that's why if you if you get the big companies to incent their executives to try to build these teams, where are they going to go? They're going to go wherever they think they can find success. So they're going to raid the small companies of their (laughs) executive (laughs) talent, pull them in and do all that. But that's a win in some ways, because one, it opens up the small companies to have a job that will pull other people up. But also people now see there's a path. If I do this with this small company, I can make it into this big company. And so I think that that's why I would incentivize people who are in larger companies to have that mindset, smaller companies. I say, you got to just survive because if you were the COO or any kind of C-suite person in my small company that lasted one year and flamed out, you know, <laughs> that's not doing anyone any good. So the, right. the number one thing is you got to be a part of success wherever you are. And that means that you need to build your team carefully when you have square, uh, uh, scarce resources. Awesome. Thank you. I like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see what else. I had one more here. Um yeah no we kind of touched on that all right let me uh, you 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 gave a little bit of of this um before, but what's the advice you would give you mentioned your twin what's the advice you would give your twenty seven year old self coming up
1: in corporate america uh, it's funny that you i saw that question in the prep that you sent me and it's funny you picked that age. I, w- I was trying to think if we had some conversation, but <laughs> 27 was, I, I remember distinctly, I had just, I was became the director of uh, software engineering and data analysis at this software company that I was at. And I was, you know, I had all these people reporting to me and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember the first time I really was conscious of, wow, I'm really doing well in corporate America. Um, so at the time, my 27 year old self was probably like, this is, things are, you know, are great. If I had to go back and travel and and talk to that person, I probably would say, you know, you're on, you're on the right track and you need to, you need to take this moment to increase even more your belief in yourself and your abilities, because there are going to come times where you're going to question whether or not you really know what you're doing but you do know what you're doing and that's what got you here and if you you need to believe that when when there's no evidence that you really know what you're doing and i think if i would have had that mindset from that age forward i would have done things differently and less deferential to the world around me you know so that's probably what i would tell them
0: i like that answer i like that answer so any, so on the, like I told you before, our audience are candidates and prospective clients or, you know, decision makers in corporate America. What else on the, on the kind of way out here would be as you've been in some of these rooms of fundraising in healthcare tech? Give us a snippet, a helpful hint to be in that room. What should we know?
1: Um, You know, I think... As far as fundraising uh, goes, I would say, you know, you can do a lot without raising money. And the more you can do without raising money, the more money you'll be able to raise. People, people, you know, want to just... It's almost like a formula. You go out, you you know, get some likes and build some fancy thing and have some idea, and you go and try to pitch it to some VC. But if you can just find a way to just run your experiments, do some things, prove out some stuff without taking any money from anyone, it will pay off. You know, compounds and pay off great dividends. The longer you can actually do it, now. Money, you know, taking money for um, you know investment is not a bad thing. I'm not. Preaching against it, I'm just saying the, the more that you can do on your own. The more valuable you will be when you actually do have to take someone's uh, take someone's mm-hmm. money to help you out. Um, and you'll be able to dictate your terms uh, much more easily. You know, the old adage is you don't raise money when you need it, right? <laughs> if you raise money when you need it, then you're going to be at a disadvantage. And so raise money from a position of strength.
0: Awesome. I like that. What was the thing that uh, that they looked for in that room that you weren't prepared? Not necessarily you weren't prepared for, but they put more more pressure on it or more point to it that you're just like, oh, that?
1: Um. Knowing your numbers, I think that financial literacy and accounting in particular and understanding how to talk about your business in terms of numbers, as opposed to the good idea, the underlying premise, how well this product is going to be and all that kind of stuff will serve you very well. And when I actually got investors in it and I got a board, it put a level of rigor on me to really be on top of my numbers in a way that I had not previously been. And so I appreciate. I started to appreciate what a good chief financial officer um, brings. And so I would tell all entrepreneurs just starting out, take an accounting class, take an accounting class and understand how accounting works and how financial statements work and all of that, because you'll be able to tell a story, not just with PowerPoint and pictures, but with spreadsheets and numbers. And that will be even more compelling and okay. Love that, love that, love that a lot.
0: Awesome, Lee. I'm, I'm. I've learned a lot. I've got a bunch of notes here. I saw Brandon. I think uh, his phone battery died. He just texted me here. Um, so we'll, we'll. I'll, I'll catch him up on everything here, Lee. But thank you so much for your time. I'm humbled that you're able to be honest and candid and share some of this insight. For like I said, candidates, clients, just being bold uh, with some of your answers. Uh thank you so much. Anything I could ever do for you to in in any of your stuff from mentoring, coaching, advice to anyone in your circle, please let me know how we can share uh, any of that uh with your with your folks in your circle. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for coming on uh rant with recruit group.
1: Thank you. And um can I share one more thing with please. you? Please, yeah, please, please. So this is just something that's more along the lines of what you do, and it, it struck me, so maybe it's useful to your audience in some way. So I told you I sold my company, and in my company, we were, we were a pretty diverse company, actually, and there was a, um, a woman who worked in the company uh, who was doing software engineering, a black woman did software engineering. And with all this civil unrest and all the other kind of stuff, the acquiring company, which she still works for, um, they um had you know meetings and all that and in one of those meetings i heard she said something that you know when our when i worked for you know the company that i sold when i worked for that company and the ceo was black it took away a level of concern that i have in every other place that i work where i'm not thinking about the consequences of being black in this company and where it's going to go because the top of the company is black. And so it removed something and allowed her to be much more conscious of just, you know, the quality of her work and the, you know, the merits of that. And that I would say is the reason why you need to have people from all these different groups that you keep mentioning in positions of leadership because they provide cover for people to be their best selves without having to worry about whether this particular aspect of me is being perceived one way or another from the top because I see it at the top and I'm not worried about that. And it lets them really shine through and focus on their their work. So I would encourage both the employers who work with you to have that mindset in terms of filling leadership positions. And I would encourage your candidates to look at the leadership of companies because if you see yourself up there, you'll do a better job where you are. Lee, why are you dropping oh, all these? Come on now! So many, that many was
0: good sound b- bites. So many good sound bites. <laughs> that was fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, you, you have, have any more? You call me, email me. We'll get more <laughs> easily. Uh, thank you so much, Lee. I, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, in, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of the summer. And again, let us know how we can ever help uh, you guys. And then. For the folks out there watching this, please join us again. Uh, As much as we do this, we're going to be giving you another peek behind the scenes of corporate America, hiring in corporate America with other great leaders like Lee. So, you know, from myself, uh, Brandon and Recruit Group, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you guys again.